Hello and welcome to the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy for our continuing talks every Saturday that it will have an opportunity for explaining our faith. I'm Father Chris Alar, one of the Marian priests of the Immaculate Conception, and it's a joy to have you join us from around the world for our topic today, which is purgatory. As Catholics, we are challenged all the time about where is purgatory in the Bible. Um, Jesus never said anything about purgatory. We're going to talk about all that today. This is part, if you look up on your screen and you can see the slide, this is a continuation of my talks, part of my Explaining the Faith series, which you can get um, hard copy DVD on shopmercy.com or by calling our phone number at one 800 the number four, then Marion, M-A-R-I-A-N, or by streaming it, you can do this without having to buy a DVD. You can stream it on thedivinemercy.org slash explaining the faith. All right. As I said, today we're going to talk about a topic that has been part of church tradition since the beginning of its creation. And this topic is purgatory. You know, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge this is a beautiful opportunity to say thank you to our Blessed Mother, who's here on my right with the beautiful flowers here on the Feast of the Assumption. And so the 15th of August is a special day for our Marian community. Um, you'll be seeing live streaming as well with our vows and masses uh, throughout the day. So God bless all of you. And Mary is an important part. Uh, the souls in purgatory call her star of the sea. So we'll talk more about our Blessed Mother, especially today on her feast day. All right. The first question, let's take a look at this slide, is what is purgatory? All right. We have to start with the basics here. Is it a physical place? The sufferings, and the answer to that is the sufferings are very real. This is true. But it's more of a metaphysical nature. Um, these sufferings are contained in the mind and the heart uh, of the human soul, okay? Uh, there's no bodies that are there. There's no physical bodies in purgatory. So like a bad nightmare, though, such sufferings in purgatory exceed any here on earth. And so this is important because we need to keep in mind that more than a place of suffering, it's a place of preparation. Kind of like the bride before marrying her groom goes off to a place to get ready and the groom doesn't see her. Just like God, um, I mean, we don't see God, our, our groom, before we are ready. So this is what it's like. Um, although there are private revelations that obviously seem to show purgatory as a place, John Paul, a physical place, John Paul said the term does not indicate a physical place, the term purgatory, but a condition of existence, a state of being. All right. Some private revelations involving purgatory visits um, describe a number of levels and the suffering is deeper on the lowest levels. When you get to the highest level, there seems to be less suffering, like it's described in one account with flowers and kind of like a waiting room for heaven. You're getting closer, right? But what's important is that we know that a purifying condition of souls exists. Um, while it is true 
eternal punishment due to sin, a.k.a. hell, is gone in confession, temporal punishment may still remain even after we're forgiven. And we're going to talk a lot about that coming up. Now, let's go to our next slide. Purgatory or purgare is to make clean, to purify in accordance with Catholic teaching is a condition of temporal punishment for those who departing this life in God's grace are not entirely free from venial faults and not fully paid the satisfaction due to their transgressions. Okay, Protestants believe God just cleanses us, but yet we Catholics believe that there is some kind of suffering in this process of purification. Why? Why do we believe that's different? Because we believe, like with Adam and Eve, sin has consequences. Did God, when Adam and Eve sinned, did God just say, okay, snap, I make you instantly clean again? No, there was consequences to their sin. They were evicted from the garden. So it makes sense that we have consequences to our sins, but God does want to clean us, right? So to go directly to heaven, the Bible tells us we must be completely free from the stain of sin. Let's look at this. What does it mean to have no stain of sin? Well, our next slide tells us. What does that mean? This is what the Bible says. No stain of sin means to get to heaven. We can't have this. What is it? All right. First, no unrepentant sin in your life. How do you get rid of sin? Go to confession. All right. Second, you must have fully paid the penalty for all your sins. This is doing your penance. Like doing the penance after your confession or doing some fasting or, or, or something like that. And then third, no attachments to the world. This is hard and why most of us may spend some time in purgatory. All right. So hell is for those who die. The only way you're lost to hell, the only way your soul is lost is to die in an unrepentant state of mortal sin. All right, how does that happen? Well, mainly if you don't go to confession, because in confession, you're guaranteed cleaning up and forgiveness, meaning the sin is gone. So the first purpose of purgatory is to purge all of the unrepentant venial sin. The mortal sin is gone in confession. Then you might have venial sin and any that's unrepented, you can get purged in purgatory. Then we have to atone for the big bad one, which was the um, unrepented mortal sins. Excuse me, if you had unrepentant mortal sins, you're going to be in hell. But if you go and you have, let's say, mortal sin that you haven't fully done satisfaction for, maybe you've been forgiven, but you haven't done maybe any reparation or expiation. What does that mean? Like I said, penances. All right. Now we must atone for all the unexpiated sin. And those are for those people who didn't do their penances. 
Again, good forms are surrendering your will, skipping meals, maybe fasting, things like that. Finally, we got to get rid of the worldliness so that we can fully love God and not the creature. That's the definition of sin. When you take your eye off the creator and you leave it only on the creature. And we don't want that. So once that time is done, then we are ready for heaven. Once those things are cleaned up, we're ready for heaven. All right, next slide. Who are the holy souls in purgatory? Who are they? All right, purgatory is the state of being of those who die in God's friendship. Okay, but some people who die in the grace of God as his friends are still imperfect. This makes logical sense. They require a purification before entering heaven where nothing imperfect can go. All right. They are holy. Why do we call them holy? It seems like they're suffering. Why would holiness bring about suffering? All right. They are holy because while they are not yet perfect, they are on their way to heaven. That's why we call them holy. In fact, we also call them poor souls. All right, we call them poor souls. Well, why, Father? If they're on their way to heaven, because they are still suffering to some extent. So we call them poor souls as well. That is, they realize they must be purified and are still not in union fully with God because they abstain. All right, St. <clears throat> Catherine of Genoa. She said that although purgatory is incomparably painful because one sees all the horror of their sins. One is also incomparably joyful because God is with them. There are, they are there learning to endure his truth and his light. If you're not ready, when you go before God with his blinding light, you're going to be in pain and misery. You know, when you walk out of your house <clears throat> or out of your room, let's say you're sleeping, you're in a dead sleep, it's been pitch black and somebody comes in and turns on a bright light. You shudder, you, you, you turn your head away, your eyes burn because they're not adjusted yet. Purgatory is like getting those eyes adjusted so that you can see that light and, and, and endure it. It is also joyful because they've already passed their particular judgment and that is a beautiful thing. However, they need help. They need help. And we're going to discuss that as we go on. All right, let's go to the next slide. Where is purgatory in the Bible? All right, here we go. This is a famous question many of us are asked as Catholics. Not every truth we believe is explicitly stated in the scriptures. Well, yeah, it is, Father. Okay, find me the word Trinity. Do we as Catholics believe in Trinity? Of course we do. Is the word Trinity in the Bible? No, it's not. All right. But I tell you what is. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 says, Stand firm and hold to the traditions which I have taught you, both oral and written. This is an example. Purgatory. The existence of purgatory logically follows from two things. Our imperfection on earth and our required perfection in heaven. Here's the thing, everybody. Few people that I know are so evil 
that they deserve to go to hell for all eternity. But so few people do I know that are so good and imperfect and without stain that they'll go straight to heaven. It makes sense to have a purgatory. Let's go to our next slide. The church gives the name purgatory to this final purification of the elect, which is different from the punishment of the damned or hell. The church formulated her doctrine on purgatory, especially at the councils of Florence and Trent. Next slide. The tradition of the church, by reference to certain texts of scripture, speaks of a cleansing fire. And we're talking about 1 Corinthians 3.15 and 1 Peter 1, verse 7. Let's get into scripture now. Oh, Father, purgatory is not the Bible. I just had somebody comment, Father, show me one verse where purgatory is in the Bible. I wrote back and said, here's 25. All right, in scripture, the necessity, as I said, of absolute holiness in order to get to heaven is clear. Hebrews 12:14 says, "Holiness without which no one will see the Lord." Revelation 21:27 says, "Nothing unclean shall enter there." Protestants, they don't believe in and again, let me clarify. When I say Protestants, I'm sorry. I should always clarify. I'm not talking all. There are many, I should rather say non-Catholics. Because <clears throat> there are evangelicals, there are, um, <clears throat> there are non-denominationals, there are Protestants. So when I say press, I apologize, I should say non-Catholics. Many don't believe in a purification process. But there is evidence in the New Testament of this, of a purgatory type purification. In 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15, this is an awesome evidence where St. Paul gives us. Let's look at the next slide. What does he say? Each man's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Next slide. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What does this mean? This is scriptural evidence for purgatory. Where's purgatory in the Bible? Here. Just like Trinity is without saying the word Trinity. Why? In this passage or these passages, Paul is talking about being tested by fire after death. It's clear. And clearly, he is saying there is another level between heaven and hell. Did you read that passage? The place of being tested by fire, as he said, cannot be heaven. Why, Father? Because there is no purifying fire in heaven. You're already perfect. Well, also, it can't be hell. Why can't it be hell, Father? Because no one there can be saved. Paul said this person will be saved. So it has to be something in between. Let's go to our next slide, which gives us an example. 
Matthew 5, 20, 25. Make friends quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out till you have paid the last penny. Tertullian and all the fathers said that this prison, notice the word prison, right? All right is talking about purgatory. He says the word prison. Since that prison, we understand, they said, to mean the place of the departed, and the last penny, they said, we mean even a small fault, which must be expiated, which means paid for, before the resurrection, no one shall doubt that the soul will pay something before the fullness of the resurrection upon after their death. Wow. That, I mean, that's very clear. Powerful stuff of scriptural evidence of purgatory. Let's go to our next slide. 1 Peter 3.19. The place to which Jesus went and preach to the spirits in prison whom formerly did not obey. All right, let's look at this. This place that Christ visited, all right, and then departed from is clearly again neither heaven nor hell. So where is it? What is it? Christ did not preach to the, to the damned. So we know it's not hell. It says Jesus went there and preached. We know it can't be hell. Why? Because Jesus doesn't preach to the damned. They're lost forever. That's irrevocable. But we also know that it can't be heaven. Why can't it be heaven? Because it says here, the spirit's in prison. Heaven is not a prison. So this has to be something in between. It has to be something that is different. And that's what purgatory is. Let's go to a famous passage, our next slide. 2 Maccabees 12, 44. This is a famous one. It is a superfluous and vain to pray for the dead if the dead rise not again. Now it was not for those, now it was not for those in paradise who had no need of it, nor for those in hell who could get no benefit from it. It was then for those in purgatory. Those are the words of St. Francis de Sales. You know, you can reference Maccabees because Maccabees is part of the Catholic Bible. People say, it's not in my Bible, Father. Well, that's because Martin Luther removed it. The Catholics didn't add it. Well, but Father, he only put the original Hebrew books that were in the original Hebrew. And Maccabees wasn't in the original Hebrew. That's why Martin Luther didn't include it. No, we're learning now that Maccabees was in the original Hebrew. We know this from the Dead Sea Scrolls. All right, now let's go to our next slide. This is important passage, Philippians 2.10. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right, this is another awesome example. 
those in heaven and on earth are mentioned here. Every knee shall bend on heaven and on earth. Okay, this is the church triumphant, the heaven, the church militant, the earth. But who are those referred to as under the earth? All souls, all knees on, in heaven and on earth shall bend and under the earth. What is under the earth? The reference is certainly not to those in hell because they would not be praising God. They would not take a knee to God. They hate God. So who else would they be praising God? It's not those in heaven because they're already mentioned. Those in heaven. Those are praising God. That's true. But they've already been mentioned. Those in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So this must be referring to a third category. This is who we refer to as church suffering, the purgatory. It's kind of like the rich man and Lazarus, that story, right? It's uh, the limbo of the fathers. It shows that there is another state besides heaven and hell. It is in scripture. All right, so now let's get to what the church teaches on this. Next slide is church teaching and the holy souls. All right, Catholic tradition has always been to pray for the souls of the recently departed. This is something that's always been part of our tradition. This is found early in Christian writing. Right? Long before the New Testament was codified or, or canonized. Even Martin Luther did not condemn purgatory, although he did have some varying opinions. He actually, in a way, believed in it. Non Catholics, you should take note of that. But he did not accept the church's methods of obtaining indulgences. That was his problem. Not the fact that he had no belief in purgatory. He didn't believe in the paying for indulgences. We'll talk about that later. For a time, he believed purgatory was true and even taught it to his followers. He even allowed prayers for the dead in his church directory. That surprises a lot of people. All right. Devotions to the saints and purgatory are now denied by our non-Catholic brothers and sisters. They claim that these are Catholic inventions. But these doctrines have been taught by Christians since long before the Reformation. Listen to this. The martyrdom of Perpetua and Felicity, which was in 202 AD, includes Perpetua's prayer for her brother who already died. Why pray for the dead? We don't believe in praying for the dead. Well, this one did. Perpetua did. She had visions of her brother's suffering in purgatory and then his release. Tertullian, writing around AD 211, around the same time, mentions, quote, we offer sacrifices for the dead on their birthday anniversaries, which that usually means the day they died and they were born into eternal life. St. John Chrysostom, let's look at our next slide. What did he say? Our next slide, St. John Chrysostom said, if Job's sons were purified, remember Job, he's the suffering guy in the Old Testament. If Job's sons were purified by their father's sacrifice, that's Job 1.5, why would we doubt that our offerings for the dead bring them some consolation? He's basically saying, don't doubt that. Let us not hesitate to help those who have died and to offer our prayers for them. Good stuff, right? 
church father, St. Augustine, wrote repeatedly of the doctor of doctrine of purgatory. Forty passages in his books make mention of praying for the dead as a work of mercy. Let's look at St. Augustine. Next slide. There's a picture of him. What did he say? But by the prayers of the Holy Church. So now we bring the church in. And by the salvific sacrifice and by the alms which are given for their spirits, there is no doubt that the dead are aided, that the Lord might deal more mercifully with them than their sins would deserve. All right. These are the ancient church fathers. These were saying, making these statements long before the Protestant Reformation or any other Christian faith besides Catholicism. All right, St. Caesar of Arles articulates what purgatory is and how God uses it to purify us. Let's look at what he says. Next slide. If we neither return thanks to God in tribulation, nor redeem sins with good works, we shall stay in the purgatorial fire until our small sins be consumed like wood, hay, and stubble. Next. But someone says... I don't mind how long I stay there. If at length I shall arrive at eternal life, let no one say this, he says, because that purgatorial fire shall be severer than any punishment that can be either thought of or seen or felt in this world. Whoa. <laughs> Some say purgatory was invented. Because it wasn't codified until the Middle Ages and the Catholic Church made it up. Didn't you just read it? These are from ancient 2nd, 3rd, 4th century writers. All liturgies by the end of the 4th century included prayers for the dead. Again, over a thousand years before the Protestant Reformation or any non-Catholic denomination. All right, next slide. Why do the holy souls need our help? This is a great question. Because of that suffering we just talked about, and because those souls can't pray for themselves. We must have faith and practice good works in hope of attaining reward in heaven. The book of James tells us all about this. Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. They tell us all about this. Once we die, we can no longer merit. We can't do anything to help our own cause. Help yourselves now on earth. After we die, we can't do that. We must await purification and purgatory, and then you're at the mercy of everyone else's prayers on earth. We can help these souls in purgatory by our suffrages. What's a suffrages, Father? It is our prayers, our sacrifices, our penances from the living in honor of the dead. We should help them because we want to, not just because we fear punishment if we don't, even though that'll come up in a minute. Next slide. <clears throat> What can we do to help the holy souls? All right. God is willing to accept our offering in payment of another's debt. This has always been, look at the four men and the paralytic in the gospel. Uh, the four men's work of faith helped that man to be healed. Um, we can do this because like us, they are part of the body of Christ. The souls in purgatory. They are the church suffering. We are the church militant. And the souls in heaven are the church triumphant.
so we can offer our sacrifices, prayers, fasting, and almsgiving. What's almsgiving? Taking care of the poor, given to those in need. You know, the great Jewish leader, Judas Maccabeus, discovered a number of slain Jews, right? They had worshiped the idols of Jamnia. This is that famous passage, 2 Maccabees 12, verse 39. Trusting in God's mercy, Judas, not, not Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, but Judas Maccabeus and his army took immediate action to help them. Let's look at the next slide and see what that says. Turning into supplication, they prayed that the sinful deed might be fully blotted out. What was the deed? Worshiping idols. He then took up a collection among all his soldiers, which he sent to Jerusalem to provide for an expiatory sacrifice. What does that mean? It's a payment. Let's go to the next slide. In doing this, he acted in a very excellent and noble way. Thus, he made atonement for the dead. And that sound like the chaplet? He made atonement for the dead that they may be absolved from their sin. Again, 2 Maccabees 12, 42 to 46 through that. This is awesome. Even to this day, the Jewish people pray for their dead. Martin Luther had this book removed from the Bible. We didn't add it. Martin Luther removed it because he didn't like those ways they prayed for the dead. So from the earliest days of Christianity, the Christian faithful have done this. Now this is also church teaching. How, Father? It's in the Catechism, 1032. Let's read what that says. Our next slide. Catechism 1032. From the beginning, the churches honored the memory of the dead and offered prayers in suffrage for them. Prayers and penance. Above all, the Eucharistic sacrifice, so that, thus purified, they may attain the beatific vision of God. The church also commends almsgiving, indulgences, which we'll talk about in a minute, and works of penance undertaken on behalf of the dead. All right. The Jews believed that it was a, quote, holy and wholesome thought to pray for the dead that they may be loosed from their sins. Again, 2 Maccabees twelve forty six. Praying for the dead is one of the seven spiritual works of mercy, as I said. All right. Let's go to our next slide. Now tell me, what can we do for them? How can you make a difference? I want to talk about these in a little more detail, but let's look at the summary. One, have a mass said for them. Very powerful. You can go to your local church. Stipends are usually $10. Ask the church office to have a mass said. Second, enroll the deceased in a spiritual benefit society. Our Association of Marian Helpers is an example. I'll say a few minutes, uh, uh, something about that in a few minutes. Third, offer an indulgence for the deceased. Again, we'll talk about that. Number four, offer sufferings for them. Please never let a headache or a stubbed toe go unwasted. Go and give that beautiful offering to God for their atonement for their sins. And pray five, pray for the chaplet of divine mercy, 
the rosary and other prayers for them. All right, let's take a look at a few of these in more detail. Let's start with number one, the mass, the Catholic mass. That's the next slide. Here we see the picture of the most beautiful thing you could ever do on earth. That is the mass. More souls are released by the mass than any other means. You probably don't even think of that when you go to church. When you go to mass, do you really think about that? Do you really walk into that church and as you're waiting for the mass to begin, are you praying for the souls of all your loved ones, your grandma, your grandpa, your aunts, your uncles who have passed away? Do you really realize sitting in that pew that you're about to intake or embark in something that is absolutely the greatest thing in the world to release those loved ones like your mom and dad that are suffering tremendously, possibly, to completely relieve them through the power of the mass? And are you offering the graces that you receive in the mass for the release from purgatory? Maybe you're all, you aren't, but you should be. This is powerful. St. John VNA said the mass is greater than any works that we could do. All good works, he said, quote, taken together cannot equal the value of one holy mass because they are the works of men, whereas the Holy Mass is the work of God. <clears throat> the Gregorian Mass. Let's take a look at this next slide. The Gregorian Mass. That's St. Gregory the Great, right? What is a Gregorian Mass? 30 days of consecutive Masses. Masses every day for 30 straight days. All right. Through Gregorian Masses, we pray for the deliverance of a soul from purgatory. They're named, as I said, after St. Gregory the Great, a pope who did 30 masses once for a monk. The monk then appeared to his brother, who didn't know these masses were said for him, and said that he was released from purgatory. Then the masses can only be said for one person at a time, and this monk received those masses. And so he let it be known that that was the reason he was released from purgatory. That then became the tradition that we know today of having 30 consecutive masses said for somebody who has died. They can only be said for one person at a time and they're every day for 30 days. So this custom of praying 30 days for the dead goes all the way back even to the Old Testament. The Jews prayed for 30 days after the death of Moses. I don't know if you even knew that. All right, let's go on to our next slide I mentioned that Spiritual Benefit Society. This is the beautiful example of who we are. The Association of Marian Helpers, look at the screen. That's an outside shot of our Marian Helper Center, which is the headquarters of the Association of Marian Helpers. The Association of Marian Helpers is a Spiritual Benefit Society, which means you can share in the graces with all of us, all our Marian priests and brothers, if you become a Marian helper and there is no cost, just visit. It's easy to remember. M-I-C-Prayers.com. M for Marian, I immaculate, C conception, prayers.com. It takes 10 seconds to enroll. It, it, it's, it's easy. There's no cost. But when you do, you share in the spiritual benefits of our rosaries, our masses, our prayers, our penances, just like you were a Marian priest of the Immaculate Conception. Incredible. All right. Now, this has happened because, um, uh, you know, there's traditions. Um, I won't tell all the stories there, but basically by decree of the Holy See, 
the Holy See can dedicate certain organizations, spiritual benefit societies, and he did ours. So praise be to God. All right, now the next one, the big one, plenary indulgences. This, look at your screen, plenary indulgences. This is a big one to help our loved ones who have died, a biggie. In confession, here's what you gotta remember. When you go to confession, the sin is forgiven, all right? You are forgiven of your sin, guaranteed, as long as you have a valid confession. But what about the punishment? Does the punishment remain or is the punishment gone? Father, it remains. Father, it's, it's gone. Both are correct. The punishment, eternal punishment for sin, a.k.a. hell, is gone forever. As long as you have a valid confession and you don't mortally sin again, if you do fall into mortal sin again, just go back to confession. But what about the temporal punishment due to sin? All right. Unless you have perfect contrition, the possibility is that it remains. Even though we are forgiven in the confessional, the stain of our sins remains on the body of Christ. In other words, the wound heals, but the scar remains. And we must repair the damage we did to the body of Christ. It's kind of like the boy whose dad says, don't play baseball in the yard and he ends up playing ball and the ball breaks the window. Dad comes home and says, son, I forgive you. And he says, I'm sorry, dad. And he says, son, I forgive you. But you're grounded for two weeks and you're gonna have to pay for it out of your allowance. In other words, he's forgiven of the sin like we are in confession. But the temporal punishment remains. He's grounded and he has to pay out of his allowance. That's expiatory. Paying back every penny as the scripture says. Now, <clears throat> An indulgence is the forgiveness of even that penalty, that sin, that penalty due to the sin which you confessed in confession. A plenary indulgence, not only in confession as your sin wiped away, but the plenary indulgence wipes away the punishment. This is incredible. You can do it for yourself or for a holy soul. And remember, this is different than the grace of Divine Mercy Sunday, which is only for yourself and also wipes out away all the sin and punishment. But that's a different topic. God gave his church the power to forgive the sin. Why wouldn't he give his church the power to forgive the punishment? It makes perfect sense. All right. St. <clears throat> Faustina. Next slide. She said, Jesus said, the souls in purgatory are greatly loved by me. They are making retribution to my justice. It is in your power to bring them relief. These are the words of Jesus. Draw all the indulgences from the treasury of my church. Boy, you can't get any more clear than that. That's Diary of St. Faustina, number 1226. All right, like anything, indulgences can be used for good or bad. Martin Luther had a problem that indulgences were sold and he was right. That's not good. They were misused, but it doesn't make them bad. I can use my computer for something good, like uh, sending prayer requests, or I can use it for something bad, like going to an improper website. <clears throat> Sorry. All right, purgatory actually exists as a result of God's mercy. 
And this is what we're going to look at with the indulgences. I started to talk about plenary indulgences. Let's look at the next slide. I always talk about the big four plenary indulgences. The big four plenary indulgences that you can see on your screen, you could do them in any order, okay? Uh, they are praying a rosary inside a church or chapel or with another person. Um, a half an hour of adoration in front of the blessed sacrament. A half an hour of reading scripture and uh, or a half an hour or excuse me, or walking the stations of the cross. You could see those. I'm doing them in no particular order because it doesn't matter. All those can be plenary indulgences. What do I mean by can be? That means if you do one of those things, you have the possibility of getting a plenary indulgence. But look at our next slide. In order to do or receive the full plenary indulgence, you have to do the four conditions. All right. First of all, you have to do the plenary act. Like I just said, praying the rosary with someone, walking the stations of the cross, reading half hour scripture, half hour of adoration. All right. You first have to do that. But then you have the other conditions. One, get to confession. The church now teaches within 20 days before or after you do the indulgence act. So that, what does that mean, Father? That means if you're not in a state of grace, you got to go to confession before. If you're in a state of grace, you can go up to 20 days after. You also have to receive Holy Communion. You also have to pray for the intentions of the Holy Father, which is a har our Father, Hail Mary, Glory Be usually. And finally, the last condition that sinks most all of us, ha, no attachment to sin, even venial. That's a hard one. And that's why Divine Mercy Sunday is so great because that condition doesn't apply. You get the same forgiveness of all sin and punishment on Divine Mercy Sunday, but you can be faulty. You can be defective and still get that grace. That's why Divine Mercy Sunday is so powerful. But here in a plenary indulgence, we need to work on that no attachment to sin. Now, what happens if you have some attachment to sin? Let's look at our next two slides. They're what we can call a partial indulgence, which means some of the punishment for us or a holy soul, most likely a holy soul, but you could do it for yourself too, for what you're owed, are also possible. Some partial indulgences, which means some of the punishment is remitted, are making the sign of the cross, praying the rosary by yourself, raising one's thoughts to God in a pious way, Adoring Jesus in the Holy Eucharist for but a moment. Let's go to our next slide. Teaching or attending a catechism class. Fasting. Venerating a saint on his or her feast day. Or giving alms, which is basically helping poor souls or homeless. These are all great ways that we can help relieve the suffering souls in purgatory. But Father, um, what if, uh, what, do I do them for a holy soul or myself? Well, it doesn't matter. I usually do uh, the first 29 days of the month for holy souls, and I do the last day of the month, the 30th day of the month for myself, or the 31st day. All right, next slide is suffrages. We talked about this. What is a suffrage? Basically, again, an offering. I keep saying, offer it up. You always hear that term. My mom used to say, uh, Chris, offer it up. I never knew what that meant. What does that meant? It's suffrages. Aquinas talks about alms, giving alms, which is giving gifts to the poor. He said those are more important than even fasting or prayer or penance. That's amazing. 
Almsgiving possesses more complete the virtue of satisfaction than even prayer. Wow. St. James, he said a person can be justified by works and not by faith alone. So we must do these works of goodwill like almsgiving, giving in love, not works of the law, but works of love. People think Romans 3.28 says you are, you are saved by faith alone. No, it doesn't. Martin Luther added the word alone. Romans 3.28 says you are saved by faith. We believe that as Catholics and not by works of the law. We believe that as Catholics, but what you do need works of is love. All right, next slide, the rosary. This is a powerful tool. The word rosary actually comes and is derived from the word rosarium, which is Latin for rose garden. Isn't that beautiful? The word rosary means a crown of roses. Did you know that? Many people pray the rosary, they don't even know that. It's just presented to Our Lady in prayer, like she's right here to my right. Pray the rosary for Our Lady, present it to her. Mary said, I shall deliver from purgatory those who have been devoted to the rosary. What a beautiful way. St. Alphonsus Liguri said, this is the best way to help the souls in purgatory after the mass. All right, let's look at the next one, the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. All right, this is an extension of the mass because we're offering sacrifice. The rosary is like the first part of the mass, the liturgy of the word, because you're meditating on scripture. But the chaplet of divine mercy is like the other part of mass, the liturgy of the Eucharist, because you're offering sacrifice. Eternal Father, I offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity. People say, Father, how can I do that? I'm not a priest. Actually, you are. By virtue of your baptism, you share in the offices of Christ, priest, prophet, and king. You are a priest, the common priesthood, not ministerial like me. You can't hear confessions, but you can offer sacrifice. All right, there are many other great prayers <clears throat> for the holy souls. Let's look at just one. There's many, many, please understand. There's many, I'm just gonna put one up. Famous prayer of St. Gertrude. You should, I pray this every night that I can remember. Eternal Father. I offer you the most precious blood of your divine son, Jesus. Doesn't that sound like the chaplet? In union with the masses said throughout the world today, for all the holy souls in purgatory, for sinners everywhere, for sinners in the universal church, those in my own home and within my own family. Powerful stuff. It's through the body and blood of Jesus that we receive salvation. So like I said, it's just like the chaplet. Offering the Father in heaven, body and blood of Jesus Christ in atonement for the sins of those in purgatory. In the chapel, we say for those, uh, for our sins and the sins of the whole world, but you can also offer it for those in purgatory. Once souls in purgatory reach heaven, they become your personal patron saints. Isn't that amazing? You can have an army of saints praying for you. You get an army of saints who want to return the favor to you someday when you prayed to help them get out. <clears throat> All right, let's look at a very interesting next slide. You see a jack-o'-lantern, right? This is All Hallows' Eve, or below what we call Halloween, which means hallowed evening or holy evening. 
Well, Father, this is a bunch of bunch of devil worshipers. That isn't anything but holy. In fact, our church bans Halloween. Well, let's talk about that. First, you got to do is look at what November 1st and November 2nd are in the church calendar. They are dedicated to all the dead. The first is dedicated to the saints. The 2nd of November is dedicated to all other souls, all souls day who are not yet in heaven. All right. So October the 31st is the vigil of that first feast, November 1st, which is all saints day, a very holy day. It's a holy day of obligation. So what is Hallow's Eve or Holy Evening is the vigil of the night before All Saints Day, which is a very holy day of obligation. All Saints Day, most saints have a particular feast day, which is usually the date of their death. We talked about that, but not all are observed. There are many saints in heaven who don't have feast days. So on November 1st, we honor the saints who have not yet been canonized. <clears throat> and Halloween is All Hallows' Eve is the night before that, the vigil. So it's part of a holy day. The next day, as I said, November 2nd is All Souls' Day, where we remember those who are not yet in heaven, but are in purgatory. All right. Uh, Non-Catholics ban the celebration of All Saints' Day, which is November 1st. So therefore, they also banned its vigil, Halloween. Now, this is not because it was pagan, but because it was Catholic. Now, yeah, it's true that some Satanists and atheists have hijacked Halloween to become what they call the devil's holiday, but that wasn't what it originally meant. Why it was originally created was the vigil of a saint's day, a holy day. All Hallows' Eve, holy evening. So just because the devil um, and his followers hijacked, it doesn't mean it was created that way to be bad. Irish Catholic immigrants came back and revived Halloween as a way of celebrating the vigil of All Saints' Day. People don't get this. Halloween is not banned by the church. This is a big misconception. Halloween is not was not created as a pagan religious event. It's a Christian celebration almost 1,500 years old. Wow, Father, I didn't know that. Catholic colonists in Maryland recognize All Hallows' Eve in their church calendars. But what about occult aspects? Um, you know, the hijack. Yeah, there's been some people that have used it for bad sacrifices to Satan and all that stuff. But that's not what it was intended for. What about occult things like ghosts and goblins and demons? These are rooted, believe it or not, the demons and ghosts in Catholic belief. There's good spirits and there are evil spirits. The jack-o'-lantern that you saw on your screen there was originally represented the souls of the dead. That's what a jack-o'-lantern is. It actually also was to be a demon to scare away demons. Um, they say demons are scared when they see their own reflection. That's why when you go to Europe and you see the churches and the big buttresses up above, you see gargoyles. Don't you ever wonder why the church has these evil-looking demonic figures on the outside of its churches? Non-Catholics will say it proves it that the church is evil. No, those gargoyles are, are, are to scare away the demons because they'd see their own reflection. They would think it was themselves and they'd get scared away. Now, in France, 
They believe that once a year on Halloween, the dead of the churchyards would rise for one wild carnival. So people dressed up as corpses to participate in this from various levels of society. And many have said that this is the origin of the modern day Halloween costume party. Interesting, huh? Others believed it came from the pagan practice of dressing in disguise so that the evil spirits which came on this night would not recognize them and would be able, not be able to torment them. Hmm. All right. But many of us hear that Halloween, as I said, is pagan and evil. I said that's actually anti-Catholic. In post-Reformation England, All Saints Day was banned. Therefore, they banned Halloween because it was the vigil of All Saints Day. The claimed Catholic doctrine of purgatory is a modern form of Babylonian worship of the dead. That's what they claimed. The Reformation said purgatory was incompatible with predestination. All right. So All Hallows Eve was redefined without the doctrine of purgatory. Problem is, it shouldn't be. Y'all hear like knocks and noises that might be coming in your house. I remember, um, you know, a lot of people asking, Father, are there ghosts and everything? These could be souls in purgatory reminding us to pray for them. Good spirits and bad spirits roam the earth. We have to know if they're good or they're bad. There are spirits that God allows to roam the earth. All right. I was in Steubenville my postulant summer. I came in July 2006, my very first night in the Steubenville house. I heard footsteps outside my door in the hallway. The next morning I asked, who was upstairs outside my room last night? Three in the morning, nobody answered. The next night I heard the footsteps go right up to my doorknob and the doorknob started to turn. I was scared to death, I had the door locked. I was afraid to open it and the next morning again I demanded to know who was outside my door the night before, nobody answered. Then the third night, there were footsteps, came to my door. The doorknob started to move. I got the courage to grab a rosary and a crucifix and I whipped open the door and there was nobody there. I explained this to Father Don Calloway. He decided to have a mass said for, this house was over hundred years old that we lived in. And after he had a mass said for the soul that whoever would have died in that house, which we found out a woman did die in the house, it all went away. There were no more of the knocks or the bumps so have a mass said. If you're getting what you think is bothered by maybe a spirit, it could be simply a spirit or a soul in purgatory allowed to come to manifest to you to ask for prayers. This is powerful stuff. All right, let's go to our next slide. All Souls Day. This is November the 2nd. All right, November the 2nd. The official name of All Souls Day is the commemoration of all the faithful departed. This is basically what we celebrate. After honoring all the saints in heaven on the first, we now pray for the rest of those who have died on the second. So the souls in purgatory are actually saints. Why are they saints? Because they've already won their eternal reward. They're destined for heaven. All souls in purgatory will eventually get to heaven. All right, a soul actually wants to go to purgatory before seeing God. Doesn't a bride want to go and hide from the groom before her wedding day so she could get her hair right, her makeup right, her, her clothing right, her dress right? She wants to look perfect. It makes perfect sense. 
that the soul wants to go to purgatory to get ready before they meet God. Most are delivered on, believe it or not, Christmas Day. Then on All Hallows Tide, which is what we just described between November 1st and 2nd, then Good Friday, then the Assumption, which we celebrate today, then the Ascension. So this feast bears this November 2nd, All Souls Day, much spiritual fruit by allowing us to assist in God's work of redemption. All right. Through mercy. And I know God, though he's merciful, God owes it to his justice, not just to deliver them until the scriptures say that they have paid the last penny. They have paid their debt. But the debt sometimes was contracted through us when our loved ones are now dead. Uh, my grandma, you know, passed away. My relatives have passed away. I have a super close, my three best friends ever in my life. When I was real, real young, Steve Middleton was like a big brother to me. When I was in grade school, middle school, Nick Rafko. God bless, I miss that guy, amazing family. His sister was Miss America. He was the starting linebacker on the University of Wisconsin football team. Played under Barry Alvarez. Credible guy, got killed in an auto accident. Coming home from his fiance's house. My best friend in the whole world after that was Bob Brandt, died of a heart failure. Now, when I think of those three guys, I think we probably did some stupid things probably watched some movies we shouldn't have watched, looked at some magazines we shouldn't have looked at. We were kids, doesn't excuse it. But I probably helped contribute to some of the pain they now have in purgatory. So I need to help relieve that. So offer up sacrifices, prayers, masses, penances. In fact, it reminds me I need to have more masses said for those three. Wow, that's a revelation that I just had right now. All right. So it is to us that they turn for help. Therefore, we, the church militant, must help these souls. But let's ask the next question. Next slide. Can the holy souls help us? This is a fascinating question. Saints have said that while they cannot pray for themselves, meaning the holy souls, they can intercede for us. St. John Vianney said, if one knew what we may obtain from God by the intercession of the poor souls, they would not be so abandoned. Let us pray for them and they will then pray more for us. That's John DNA saying the holy souls can pray for you. We keep thinking about praying for the holy souls. Do you realize the holy souls can intercede for you? So you can pray for your loved ones to help you, not just canonize saints, and they in turn can help you. We keep thinking that we just pray to the saints. No, pray to your loved ones. Ask the holy souls to intercede for you, especially your loved ones. So I can pray, Grandma, intercede for me. Nick, Rafko, intercede for me. Bob Brandt, intercede for me. Steve Middleton, intercede for me. Let's go to the next slide. Can saints pray for the holy souls? Can saints pray now? Here we're talking about saints. Saints can do anything, Father. Well, not so fast. According to Father McNamara, we can get a saint to intercede for a holy soul. We have a duty not only to pray for the holy souls directly, but we also have a duty to ask the saints to help them too. So I should be asking St. Faustina 
to please help my friend Nick Rafko, Bob Brandt, and Steve Middleton. That's amazing. Intercede for them, St. Faustina. This is part of our rule in the communion of saints. We can all help each other. The church triumphant in heaven can help the souls in purgatory, the church suffering, who can help the souls in, um, in, 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 on earth, the church militant. Saints cannot help the poor souls without our request, however, to intercede for them. This is interesting. They are fully poor because they totally depend on our prayers. That's why we call them poor souls. The church triumphant, militant, and suffering can all intercede for each other. But the saints can't hear us, people say. Father, I'm not Catholic. You're crazy Catholic. Don't you know the saints are dead? They can't hear you. Well, Jesus spoke to Moses and Elijah on Mount Tabor, didn't he? What about God saying he's the God of the living, not the dead? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who had long passed away. But with communion with Jesus, our prayers are joined with theirs, those saints in communion. It's not just about me and Jesus. It's about me and the whole body of the church militant, suffering, and, um, and triumphant. All right. Thomas Aquinas says that saints have the power to intercede, but they cannot do things to gain satisfaction for the holy souls, such as offering suffrages like we can. Wow, there's something a saint can't do that you can do? Yes. If they had that power, they could easily empty purgatory. This is why, yes, we can all intercede for each other, but to different degrees. You have a very powerful part of intercession. Ask the saints to pray for particular souls and then do your part by offering suffrages. Only you can do that. Suffrages, again, what are they? The masses, the prayers, fasting, acts of charity, offering for a soul. Very powerful. Mary is the greatest saint to intercede because she is the mother of the church suffering. She is at the cross. All right, let's keep going. We're almost done. It's all about Mary. How can she help? All right, we find Our Lady's image in the very beginning of our faith in the catacombs in the second century. And placing her image next to a tomb indicated that the people who did it had a desire that the deceased be put under her care. In the fourth century, both the East and the West had tombstones inscribed asking for her intercession. Apparitions of Mary many times show her in purgatory as a, as a mother bringing them help. They call her the star of the sea, St. Faustina said. She is the mother of the mystical body of Christ. And the holy souls are member of that, members of that. All right. Now, what mother would not want to take care of her children? Our lady is actually looking for us to be willing to offer up our sufferings and prayers. Then she can do something with them. She distributes those graces to lessen our brothers and sisters suffering and purgatory. She can take what you place into her hand your prayers, your sufferings, your penances, your rosaries, your chaplets, your fasting, and she can do something with it. This is Marian consecration. Marian consecration is actually using Mary to help you make your prayers more powerful. Look at the next slide. Marian consecration and the holy souls. This is a picture of the 33 days of morning glory book by Father Mike Gately. He did this, and in the book, he said that we should have two main concerns 
regarding purgatory. One, that we should do everything to avoid it. So don't say, I'm going to just aim for purgatory. As Father Benedict Rochelle said, you might miss. But one, avoid it. Two, help souls get out of it. One of the best and easiest ways to do that is Marian consecration. All right, first, it can help us to avoid purgatory, which is a gift of God's mercy. How? Marian consecrations allows us to pay for the punishment due to our sins before we even die because you're giving yourself to Mary and she can help clean you up. What did your mother do for you when you were a kid? When you got dirty, she cleaned you up. I hated it when my mom licked her finger and then licked my face. But man, I was clean. It may not be sometimes happiness, but you're cleansed. And it may be our best shot of getting directly to heaven after we die. All right, what about Mary and Cross consecration being the best way to help souls get out of purgatory? So first it helps you avoid it because she cleans you up, but it can also help to get souls out. How? Because part of Mary and consecration means that we give Mary all the value of our good works, not works of the law, but works of love. Whenever you do something nice, this includes all of our merits that we offer up. Again, you hear that term, offer up. Put it into Mary's hands. For the souls in purgatory, give it to her hand. Remember, when our merits pass through Mary's hands, they have a much greater power, and she can do that. All right, next slide, we're getting close here. This is a picture of St. Faustina. This is a fabulous saint. In Sister Faustina's diary, St. Faustina's diary, the word purgatory, appears two dozen times. St. Faustine, I want to read you one paragraph from Diary 20. This is the words of St. Faustine. I saw my guardian angel who ordered me to follow him. In a moment, I was in a misty place full of fire in which there was a great crowd of suffering souls. They were praying fervently, but to no avail for themselves. Remember I said, they can't help themselves, only you can help them. Only we can come to their aid. The flames which were burning them did not touch me at all. My guardian angel did not leave me for an instant. I asked these souls what their greatest suffering was. They answered in one voice that their greatest torment was longing for God. I saw Our Lady visiting the souls in purgatory. The souls call her star of the sea because she brings them refreshment. I wanted to talk with them some more, but my guardian angel beckoned me to leave. Since that time, I am closer in closer communication with the suffering souls. Diary number 20. All right. Her confessor, Michael Sapochko, actually said the reason why one woman was in purgatory for so long is that she failed to show charity towards the souls in purgatory to whom she was obligated to pray. Because she hadn't done the works of charity she should have done for them, when she died, all the charity that was done for her and all the prayers that were done for her were shifted to other people to whom she should have prayed. That's why she had a greater debt to pay in purgatory. Wow, powerful stuff. All right, next, how do we avoid purgatory? That's one of the things of Marian consecration. Every sin leaves a stain that remains even after we repent and receive forgiveness. 
to avoid purgatory is to deal with that primary cause that gets you into a mess in the first place. And that stain that gets you in your mess is sin. There are two types of sin. We've talked about this, mortal and venial. Paul says, you know, I once got a, a, a written comment that says, Father, sin is sin. No, Paul says it isn't. St. Paul says there are some sin that is deadly and there are some sin that is not deadly. The deadly sin is mortal, we call it. The non-deadly sin is venial. All right. Most people do not consider the consequences of our little minor venial sins, like getting a little frustrated or impatient or saying something a little snippy towards somebody. Many people don't confess that. But after all, a small lie or a distasteful joke, ah, Father, that's not going to prevent me to get into heaven, is it? Well, let's look here. These stains will keep us in purgatory until they've been fully expiated or paid for. Remember, you will not get out till you have paid the last penny. Matthew chapter 5, verse 25. So even venial sins cause us to spend some time in purgatory. All right, but forgiven mortal sins require much greater expiation in purgatory. A mortal sin, we can lose our salvation if we're not careful. So it's understandable that we have to pay more in penance. We can purify our souls on earth by this penance, or we can do it more painfully in purgatory. All right, now, a soul most often goes to purgatory for sins against charity love. So gossip, criticism, judgment, lack of forgiveness. These are the deadly ones. Sins against charity and all our rejections of certain people are hard. They're, they're going to hurt us. People we don't like, our refusal to make peace, bitterness that we have for someone that we store inside, our refusal to forgive. The greatest weapon against going to purgatory or hell is humility. To suck it up and say, you know what? I'm going to reach out to that person. To avoid purgatory, we need to help the holy souls because they can help us in return. Often souls complain that people go to funerals and they're never praying for the dead person. They canonize them. Well, they're already in heaven, so nobody prays. The mystics tell us at funerals they shed many tears, but that's useless. That's not what's helping the people. All right, purgatory, next slide. Why must purgatory exist? Nothing with any stain can enter the kingdom of heaven. As I said, so we need to be purified. We've made this point. Purgatory then is essentially a process of purification. I made that point. But where am I going with this? John Paul II, his catechesis on purgatory does not emphasize punishment but purification. Quote, he said, for those who find themselves in a condition of being open to God, but still imperfectly, the journey towards full beatitude requires a purification, which the faith of the church illustrates in the doctrine of purgatory. All right. According to even the Old Testament, whatever is destined for God must be perfect. All right, last page. God bless you. You've been hanging in with me. I think this is one of the greatest things ever. The next slide. It's called the great exchange. If you're tired, you're listening to me long enough, I'm going to say wake up for this slide. 
This is the best one. The greatest suffering of the souls in purgatory, St. Faustina said to us, we just read it in Diary 20, is longing for God. All right. They are tormented by that. It's like standing in a line for ice cream, seeing everybody else get to eat the ice cream, but you can't have any. Your mouth begins to water. You long for it. But there's another great pain suffered by the souls in purgatory, and that's sorrow for their sins. When they finally realize through an illumination of conscience that they've hurt God in a big way. So once a soul is in purgatory, it sees clearly that because of its sins, it is separated from God. So the two great pains they have are longing for God and their sorrow for sin. I want you to remember that because it comes real important here in a minute. Longing for God and sorrow for sin. Now, here's what's ironic. And Father Mike Gately wrote about this in his book. Ironically, those two pains, longing for God, sorrow for sins, is actually the signs of holiness in the saints. Indeed, they are. That's why souls in purgatory are saints. Because they have a longing for God and sorrow for sin. The saints all experience great longing for God on this earth and sorrow for their sin on this earth. They were saints because they did it in this earth. Souls in purgatory do it after they die and they're being purified. I hope all of you listening today want to be saints. And this is the surefire way to get there. To have a longing for God and sorrow for sin. So here's the point, everybody. The holy souls have something we want. To be holy by longing for God and sorrow for sins. Now, they have something and we want that. Yet we have something they want. Our suffrages, our sufferings. Because suffering is redemptive. Our, our, our sorrows um, are, are offered up um, fasting. So why not put these two together? This is called the great exchange. Let's ask God for a kind of transfer, spiritual transfer in prayer. This is, this is amazing. Ask God to transfer some of the suffering of the holy souls in purgatory and give it to you. What is that again? Longing for God, sorrow for sins. God will do this because he is happy to relieve the suffering of the souls in purgatory of some of their pain. And he's happy to give you something in the form of grace that will make you more holy. Longing for him more and being more sorry for your sins. In that way, you become more saintly. And you become an absolute way to heaven. That is mind-boggling. Let's look at the next slide. Lord, you see how terribly the souls in purgatory suffer from their longing for you and from their intense sorrow for their sins. We just talked about this. This is St. Faustina. Well then, in your mercy... I ask you to give them some relief by transferring to my heart 
meaning their sufferings, their longing for you and their sorrow for sins. Let my heart burn with longing for you, my God, and please give me a deep contrition for my sins. Amen. Holy mackerel. There is an example of somebody becoming a saint by doing this great exchange with the holy souls in purgatory. Phenomenal. Not only will the souls in purgatory in gratitude pray more fervently for you, but the pain and longing of God and the contrition for sin will help you make become more holy. Also, it's not a scary kind of pain, but a sweet kind. Longing for God is a sweet kind of pain. And remember, our merciful Lord will never give us more than we can carry. So by doing the spiritual transfer, we can enter into purgatory while still here on earth because you're experiencing the sufferings they experienced. Wow. And then not have to do so much after you die. All right. Jesus said to St. Faustina, next slide, enter into purgatory often because the souls need you there. This is exactly what I am talking about. All right. Last quote, Pope Benedict XVI in his work, Space Salvi, said in which he writes about purgatory, the souls of the departed can, however, receive solace and refreshment through the Eucharist, prayer, and almsgiving. As Christians, we should never limit ourselves to asking, how can I only save myself? We should also ask, what can I do in order that others may be saved and that for them too the star of hope may rise? Then, I will have done my utmost for my own personal salvation as well. Wow. What is he saying there? That when you help them, you're going to get yourself to heaven. That's why our founder, Stanislaus Papchinsky, said praying for the holy souls in purgatory is the greatest form of charity. And how do you get to heaven? Charity. Wow. It's a twofer. You help them. It helps you grow in holiness and helps you get to heaven. So help them and it will help you. You know, all of this is in my book with Brother Jason Lewis. And God bless you all. You stayed with me. This is the last slide. This is it. We're done. This slide is my book. Although, yes, it's called After Suicide. It's not just about suicide. This book is about anybody who has passed away through any kind of loss. Um, suicide, accidents, natural causes, cancer. And what I talked about here is in this book. You can get this book that helps summarize things like the great exchange, things like how to help the souls once they die to give hope for their salvation. So please visit suicideandhope.com. And there you can get a copy of the book and resources to help anxiety, depression, whatnot. And God bless you. Because when you help others, it will help you. And when you go to that website, please memorialize your lost loved ones because I personally pray for each and every one of them. And I have masses said for them. Well, God bless all of you. This is the longest presentation I have had, but I think it justifies because this is one heck of a topic. Our Catholic belief in purgatory. Hopefully you now have a little better understanding of it. Hopefully now you can a little better answer it. I know there's a lot here, but God bless all of you. And we're thankful that you could join us and join us again next week as we continue our series called Explaining the Faith. 
And may Almighty God bless you and your loved ones, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you. And God bless you.